it is great to be here. Um, it's great to be able to preach this morning and proclaim God's word. And as we, as we come under the word of God, uh, please open your Bibles today to John chapter 9, starting in verse 13, and we'll be going through 20, verses 23. Now, we're continuing in uh, John after Jesus had proclaimed that he was the light of the world and gave the man who is blind sight. Now, through the process of conversations that others had with the blind man, we see displayed what Jesus first said in John chapter 8, verse 12, that he is the light of the world. And again, in chapter 9, verse 5, Jesus was pointing to a reality much farther reaching than his ability to give physical light to the blind. But what is made clear through the multiple conversations of all those surrounded who surrounded the blind man, his neighbors, the others who witnessed him um, gaining his sight, the Pharisees and his parents, um, we see that the narrative made clear that confusion and true spiritual blindness was displayed by those who on a fleshly level could already see. But the man born blind, a beggar, assumed to be a greater sinner, was given true spiritual sight by Jesus, the light of the world. So before we get into our text, let's just pray and, in, or, and just ask the Lord to open our eyes to his truth. Lord Jesus, may we as your church, those who have completely put our faith, our trust, everything in you, not trusting one ounce in our own merit, in our own righteousness, in our own ability, but for those of us who see that we need you and you alone, we come to you this morning. Lord Jesus, may we come with joy to your word, ready to hear what you have to say. Lord, would we not rest on our own understanding, but would we truly look to you, who is the light of the world. Lord Jesus, would you open our eyes to your truth. Holy Spirit, would you give us a love for what you have revealed? Would you give us a desire to cling to you, cling to you and cling to your word? Let us see that you have given us life and life abundantly in Jesus Christ, our Savior. So Jesus, may this time honor and worship and glorify you. And we ask that above all things, in Jesus' name, amen. So hear from the word of the Lord this morning, from John chapter 9, starting in verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? 
How then does he see? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But how he sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So today as we seek to learn and apply God's word, we'll be seeing that Jesus truly makes the blind to see. But those who reject him pervert his work in unbelief. Therefore, we must not fear man, but confess that Jesus is Christ. So as we jump back into the scene after Jesus has opened the blind man's eyes, back in verse 1 through 7, then in verses 8 through 12, the neighbors of the blind beggar have been trying to understand what just happened. We can see their confusion in verses 8 and 9. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. Now, looking at verse 13, we see the man's neighbors bringing him before the Pharisees. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now, after being in the Gospel of John, and if you have any knowledge of the New Testament at all, when you hear the word Pharisee, you hear a title for the villains of the story. Pharisees equals bad guys, the enemies of Christ, the persecutors of the early church. When we see the neighbors bringing the man to the Pharisees, it looks like the villagers handing a helpless fugitive over to the evil secret police to be put on trial. But really, the people were just plain confused and looking for clarity after what just happened and what it all meant. And who better to go to than the Pharisees? Just look at how Jesus made mention of the Pharisees in John chapter 3 when Jesus met with Nicodemus the Pharisee. Starting in verse 10, Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel? Again, this Pharisee's sphere of influence wasn't so much governmental. It was that they were the great teachers of the law of God. They were the theologians of Israel. So the blind man's neighbors went to their local teachers, their shepherds. And in the letter to the Philippians, the apostle Paul, talking about his past, showing his report card of things that he had done that many would wrongly think um, worthy of making one righteous, mentions, as he says in chapter 3, verse 5, as to the law, a Pharisee. Paul's statement was meant to carry weight because the Pharisees were supposed to be the ones who knew, taught, and lived out the law of God. The confused people brought the formerly blind man to those who they thought they could trust. They looked to the Pharisees to shed light on their confusion. The failure to care, to care for God's people and point them to the Messiah in this chapter will also set up what Jesus will later proclaim in chapter 10, that he is the good shepherd. So as we read in verse 13 through 15, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. 
At this point, we again see people asking the man how he had received his sight, not marveling in the fact that he had received his sight. The blind man being able to see was unheard of. He was born blind. This sign of a blind man being given sight should have carried great significance for the Jews. We see the plain statement in Psalm 146, verse 8. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The blind being given sight also carried an expectation and hope in the Messiah who was to come. The Pharisees would have known passages pointing to the messianic hope God had in store for his chosen people, like Isaiah 29, pointing to God's transforming work. In verse 18, In that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among mankind shall exalt in the Holy One of Israel. In chapter 35 of Isaiah, starting in verse 4 through 5, Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And then again, in chapter 42, verse 6 through 7, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. This was such a well-known expectation that when John the Baptist was arrested and needed assurance that Jesus was the Christ, this is what Jesus told John's messengers in Luke chapter 7, verse 22 through 23. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. To hear of one being given sight should have sparked amazement and awe. This clear sign performed by Jesus should have supported what he'd already been saying that he was the one sent from the Father, the light of the world. The works of Jesus should have made it even more clear to the people who he was. Again, as Jesus told his disciples in the beginning of chapter 9, the man was born blind that the works of God might be displayed in him. So the doctrine of Jesus being the the light who alone gives us sight has been articulated in church history pointing to Jesus' work as our mediator, which refers to what Jesus does on our behalf to bring us into right relationship with the Father. In the 1689 London Baptist Confession, chapter 8 of Christ the Mediator, it says in paragraph 10 and in 9 and 10, that this office of mediator between God and man is properly only to Christ, who is the prophet, priest, and king of the church of God and may not be either in whole or any part thereof transferred from him to any other. This number of offices is necessary, for in respect to our ignorance, we stand in need of his prophetic office. Jesus, who is the light of the world, acts as our prophet, making the Father known. Just as John 1 verse 18 says, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. 
he has made him known. As Christians, we shouldn't just confess that Jesus is a light, but we should rejoice that he is our light. So again, Christian, this morning, I ask you, are you looking to Jesus as the light of the world? I know you, many of you are struggling, going through dark periods, going through the valley of the shadow of death right now. And what we see from scripture is that Jesus calls us to look to him who is the light. So don't walk in darkness, Christian. Look to the light. Look to the light of the world who's Jesus Christ. Don't just look at your circumstances. Don't just look at your pain. But look at him who can guide you out of it. Look at him who is beautiful, who reveals what is good and what is true. And if you don't believe in Jesus today, look to the light of the world. Recognize how lost you are without him. See, we'll see that the human heart apart from God is blind and always longs to take glory from God through ingratitude, not recognizing his works, not looking to how his works display his beauty and goodness. Verse 14 and 15 goes on. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. The Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. So the questioning begins from the Pharisees. And just like the neighbors, they ask him how he received his sight. And the, and the man replies simply and accurately. And really, this should be a pattern seen in all those who are blind but now see. When someone asks us about Jesus, we don't try to dodge the questions because it's an awkward time or because we feel insecure. But we should be ready to tell people clearly and honestly who Jesus is and what he's done. At one time we were darkness, but now we are in the light of the Lord. That just as Ephesians 2 verse 1 says, And you who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air. And verse 4 through 6 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Are you willing, are you ready to tell people clearly and accurately who Jesus is and what he's done? Are you willing to tell those who you know that once you were blind, but Jesus made you see? Now, verse 14 mentions that this miracle took place on the Sabbath, which was the seventh day of the week, which God had commanded to Israel that the Sabbath would be kept holy, to be a day of rest. We see in Exodus 20, as God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, starting in verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. 
Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. But because of the Pharisees' spiritual blindness, some interpreted this, this commandment in a way that could be used to discredit Jesus. In verse 16 of John, we see some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. So how has Jesus broken the fourth commandment in their eyes? The text doesn't explicitly say, but some of the Pharisees had already come to a bold conclusion and judgment on Jesus. According to rabbinic tradition, there were 39 activities which a person could break the Sabbath, which included making clay, going from one vicinity to another, or healing when not life-threatening. According to those traditions, Jesus had broke the Sabbath. But again, were any of those things explicitly forbidden in the actual scriptures? No. We see that some of the Pharisees were willing to deny Jesus as the one sent from God based on oral tradition surrounding the Sabbath, not because Jesus explicitly broke it. We see that they used their tradition to twist scripture to fit their agenda. So we need to ask, what is your ultimate authority? It's easy for us to say the Bible. Good, that's the right answer. But what about your traditions? What informs what? We can say we stand under the word of God while we come to it, interpreting it based on our traditions. All the while missing what God actually said. And we shouldn't just submit to the truth of God's word, but love it. And recognize God has revealed himself to those who love him through it. Psalm 119 verse 1 through 3, or 103 through 104 says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. So do you love the word of God, brothers and sisters? Is it your trampoline where you start to bounce off of into something that's false? Or do you stay on the word of God, loving it, cherishing it, finding it sweet. We see that some of the other Pharisees seem to be more open to Jesus. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was, divi- there was division among them. We see that the spiritual leaders, those who should have been able to recognize Jesus, who he truly was, and what his signs pointed to were the most divided and confused. We also see that the unbelief in Jesus, or that unbelief in Jesus, doesn't stem from a lack of evidence. The Pharisees were standing in front of one who had physically benefited from a messianic fulfillment, the blind being given sight. And they still missed who Jesus was. It's easy for Christians to think, if I just had a good enough, or if I just had good enough evidence, this person would accept Jesus, or a good enough argument, or we blame the person's intelligence. They just don't get it. But we will see from the text that the one who truly receives Jesus as Christ only does so because Jesus gives light to those who are blind. We must rest on God alone to save through the gospel proclaimed and prayer for the Holy Spirit to make the spiritually dead alive in Christ. What are you resting on when you share the gospel? 
The Pharisees, after dealing with their own confusion and division, went on to corner the blind man by the way they asked the question in verse 17. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. Looking at the blind man's answer on this side of redemptive history for us, on, for us on this side of the cross, we can say a prophet, yeah, you think. He's more than a prophet. Calling Jesus a prophet seemed definitely subpar, but with the man's limited knowledge of Jesus, this was incredibly, an incredibly bold statement of who Jesus was, being a true prophet. We see that the blind man's confession of Jesus' identity was already growing from, what, from when he was last asked in verse 11 by his neighbors. He answered, the man called Jesus. So the simple blind man's confession only grows in clarity and conviction. But the Pharisees, those who should have been most ready to welcome Jesus, only became more set on rejecting him. We see how they responded to the blind man's profession in the first part of verse 18. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. The text makes clear that the Pharisees refused to even believe that the man was born blind. This just shows the level of denial these men were willing to walk in. The stark contrast of the Pharisees and the man once born blind is like what is described in Proverbs 4, verse 18 and 19. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. The true nature of the man's fallen heart is ex- of man's fallen heart is exposed by how it interacts with the light of Jesus. Just as Jesus said to Nicodemus the Pharisee in chapter 3, verse 19 through 21, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. As the Pharisees reject Jesus, the true light, we see that their hearts were in darkness. After questioning the man and rejecting that he was even blind to begin with, they called his parents in, hope, in hopes of proving him a hoax and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? Two questions are asked. Is this your son, who you, who you claim was blind? And how does he now see? We read their response in verse 20. His parents answered, We do not know, or we know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. The parents affirmed that A, this was in fact their son, and B, he was not only blind, but born blind. We see that the truth of Jesus' work in their son was undeniable. Yet, they made no claim to know how he could see which makes sense if they weren't present when it happened. But you would think they would be full of questions, 
knowing their poor son who was born blind could now finally see. But no, they seem to want nothing to do with him, as the text shows. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. In other words, he's a big boy, he can speak for himself. We'll see in the next verses that the parents weren't just uninterested in the matter, but were motivated by fear of the Jews. Edwin wouldn't search to know who had healed their boy. Can you even imagine the pain these parents went through in the culture that they lived in? As their little boy went through childhood grappling in the dark, trying to overcome life without sight, while being unwanted and thought of as one cursed because of some great hidden sin, which was the common accepted assumption, which was so widely accepted that even the disciples made it back at the beginning of the chapter. Chapter chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, as he passed by, he saw a man born blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? What seemed so sad from seeing all the conversations surrounding this beautiful miracle of the blind man, that is, all these people talking and interacting with him have missed and perverted what should have been so beautifully clear. That Jesus opened the eyes of the blind. Again, we need to remember who it is that opens the eyes of the blind as we see these conversations, as you see those who had been instructed from childhood in the scriptures, those who had no excuse. And we even see from Romans chapter 1 that the works of God are clear, but men reject this. They stuff it down the truth of who God is. It's not because of a lack of knowledge that people reject Christ. It's because of the problem of the heart. It's because our hearts are in darkness and we need Jesus to see. His parents said these things in verse 22 because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He is of age, ask him. And here is the Apostle John giving us the explanation as to what they were afraid of. The way John uses the reference to the Jews is most likely the Jewish leaders who had already agreed that if anyone would confess Jesus to be the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one promised by God, they would be kicked out of the synagogue. Out of fear of rejection, the parents stayed away from Jesus. We learn that confessing that Jesus is truly Christ is costly. See, to be kicked out of the synagogue would be like saying you're no longer a Jew. You would be totally cut off from your family, community, and place of worship. Socially, and most likely in terms of livelihood, these people would lose everything. And as we see Followers of Jesus should understand that our hope isn't in this life. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew about what it would cost to follow him. In chapter 10, starting in verse 34. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. 
And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The blind man's parents saw the cost of confessing Jesus as Christ and stayed away. But our hope, our hope, brothers and sisters, is found in the light of Jesus Christ. That he is the Christ, the one from the Father who gives us sight. If we find our life, our purpose, our hope in this life, we will lose it and miss what truly matters. But as we see in the coming weeks, that the man who was once blind but given sight by Jesus, after truly seeing the truth of Jesus, he counted confessing Jesus worth more than what this world could offer him. So as we come to a close this morning, I want to ask this question. What are you willing to lose that you may confess that Jesus is Christ?